0: I just did a David. There we are. I did that again every week. Anyway, I'm going to ask you to turn. We're going to read from uh, Luke's Gospel, from Luke chapter 1. And I'll read from verse 5. And we read that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other for men to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. When he came out he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he kept on making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed he returned home. After this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then from verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to her son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child... Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Let's just come and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word to us tonight. We want to thank you for the way that you do come and do speak to your people, sometimes in direct miraculous ways, as you did for Zechariah. But more often, you speak to us just through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. You convict us and lead us. And Father, we pray tonight that you will convict us and that you will speak to us through your word. And we pray also, as we think of the election coming Uh, during this week we pray that we will take time to reflect on the big things of our faith and that we will be guided as a people we will seek to be guided as a people to vote in a way that that links with the truths that we believe Father we know it's not easy for us to discern this and we know that we may even come to different conclusions but Father help us to truly be a people of faith at this time And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now all of us I'm sure were stunned recently to hear of another atrocity taking place on on London Bridge. And it might seem impossible to imagine anything good coming out of a, a situation such as this. But one thing has for me brought something good. Because with millions of other people I learned something Of the life story of two incredible young people who otherwise would perhaps have passed through life unknown and unnoticed Saskia Jones and Jack Merritt who were both murdered on London Bridge Jack Merritt a young man who was described by his father as a beautiful talented boy who died doing what he wanted This young man studied law at Manchester University, and then he went on to do an MPhil in criminology at Cambridge. He could have had his pick of various high-paying jobs, but instead he decided to devote his life to the rehabilitation of prisoners, and he began working for the Cambridge University Institute of Criminology. The young lady who died, Saskia Jones, she did her first degree at angela ruskin university where she studied psychology and criminology she got 100% for her dissertation almost if not unknown her lecturer dr olivia smith said that it was so good that she cried with pride when she marked it she also went on to do an mphil in criminology at Cambridge and also could have had her pick of various careers but her basic passion for providing support to victims of criminal injustice and violent crime led her to apply for police graduate recruitment specializing in victim support this young woman was in, in addition to this uh, a sportswoman and she was a member of the Christian Union she was a committed Christian. On the day that they were killed, both Jack Merritt and Saskia Jones, they were at a course organised by the criminal uni- uh, the, Sorry, not the criminal university, though it could be the Cambridge University Institute of Criminology, where they'd both done their MPhil, and where Jack went on to work. As actually was their attacker. He was at the same course. A supposedly rehabilitated terrorist, Usman Khan. And witness reports tell us that Jack Merritt actually ran to the scene where he was murdered when he heard people screaming. So what do we say here? Of course we say, what a tragedy that two such wonderful young people were so cruelly killed when their lives obviously had just incredible potential. Of course we do, we say that, and our hearts break as we think of the grief and the pain that their parents, their families, that all those who are close to them must right now continue to be going through. And and it might seem trivial in comparison. In fact, it definitely is. But for me, the one good thing that has come out of this is it has reassured me once more that even in the selfish, materialistic, pleasure-obsessed society that we live in, that we are still capable of producing, we are still producing amazing people, young people committed to living lives of service, of selfless sacrifice. Now, sometimes, I've got to be honest, you wouldn't think this, in terms of those who the newspapers, the TV shows, the internet focus our attention on. That's usually the most feckless, selfish and laziest of characters. But thankfully, there are still people like this around. Too often, they're ignored. They're kept to the fringes, pushed to the one side. And people like this don't fight, don't shout out for attention but they are there. They are. And how our lives are enriched as they are brought out and from the fringes and our attention is focused on them. Now, tonight we're going to look at a character with some of these characteristics at least. We're going to look at the story of Zechariah, someone who so often is pushed to the fringes of the Christmas story. But I tell you, as I, I looked at his life this week, Well, I believe that he's got something perhaps very special to contribute to maybe some of our Christmases this year. Let's look at his story then, looking first at Zechariah's position. And we're told here in verse 5 that Zechariah was a priest who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, what we have to understand here is that though there was one temple in Jerusalem, there were many, many priests. And as there were only a a limited amount of duties for them to do in the actual worship of the temple, well, so they were organized into different divisions, with each division being on duty twice a year for a week or so on each occasion. Now, the actual origins of this this system you can find back in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 24, however, One of the most special privileges of all for a priest was what we are told here Zechariah was going to do on this particular day. Burn incense as an act of worship to the Lord. In fact, it was such a a great privilege that as we're told here, it was only actually decided by the casting of lots who was going to get this privilege. And also, Jewish tradition tradition forbade that this duty could be carried out by any man more than once during his lifetime. So looking forward to this special privilege in Zechariah, he must have woke up that morning thinking, this is the most important day in my life. And I have to say, I don't think that what happened to him during that day would in any way have changed his mind by the time he lay back down to sleep that night. So Zechariah then was a priest. He was a priest of Israel, charged with offering up worship to Israel's God on behalf of the people of God. But what I think is also so important to realize and to remember is is that this God, Zechariah's God, our God, This God is a living God, a God who acts in power, a God who intervenes in the lives of men and of nations. A God who again and again had acted in Israel's history in saving and redeeming power. And so another vitally important part in Zechariah's duties as a priest revolved around the Passover Festival. That is that that yearly celebration written in to the calendar of the people of Israel that was designed to remind the Jewish people <coughs> of just this very fact that, that God is a living. Their God is a living and a powerful God. Now many of them sure will be aware of the story of the, the first Passover back in, in Exodus during the, the time of Moses, of the Lamb that was slain at that time with its blood spread on the door frames of the Israelite houses, that the Lord might then pass over those houses in his wrath with his his judgment then falling on the Egyptians. But We see every year the Passover was celebrated by the Israelite people. As they celebrated and they remembered, they remembered what God had done. They remembered that God had acted in power to save them in the past. And you see, they remembered in a living way. For Exodus 13 verse 8 commanded there at at Passover that every Jewish father should tell his son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me and on the basis of that the, the rabbis then taught that in every generation a man must so regard himself as if he himself came forth out of egypt it was a living remembrance and this act of living remembrance of god's saving power in the past was all was designed to remind them that the same god was at work in their life In the present. And above all, it was designed to remind them that this God would act in saving power again in the future by sending their Messiah, by sending their deliverer to deliver them and save them finally. Now, as a priest of of Israel, year after year, Zechariah would have been involved in all that was at the heart. Of this celebration. He would have been there. Doing all these things. That were all designed to remind the people of God. That their God was a living God. That he was a God and is a God. Who is at work in power. In the lives of his people. At work in power. In his world. We'll see later. How well Zechariah learned this lesson. That though was Zechariah's position let's move on to look at Zechariah's problem and at one level one level at least Zechariah's problem was quite simply the fact that he and his wife Elizabeth were childless as we're told here in in verse 7 Elizabeth was barren and as they were both well on in years as they were both old all hope of having children seemed long gone now you see I think it's important for us to try to to understand just what the significance of this was in their time and their culture. Just try and get into that mindset. Because, you see, at this time, you had to have a child if you were going to be able to pass on your land, which was the the all-important currency in, in the primitive society of that time. A child, and particularly a son, was vitally important for the continuance of name for the continuance of family, etc. Because without a son, once you were dead, you would truly be forgotten. And that, for an Israelite, was perceived to be the absolute ultimate horror. That was the worst thing of all. In the light of all of this then, not to have a child was usually seen as some, a sign of some kind of God's displeasure. That for some particular reason, God was holding back his blessing from your life. And of course, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this would have been really, I suppose, the ultimate puzzle. The ultimate enigma. Because here he was, a priest of the Lord. Here he was, a man who served God. A priest of the Lord. And not just someone who went through the motions not just some kind of bad apple in the priesthood, but but actually someone who taught to, to serve the Lord faithfully and sought to serve him with all of his heart. As verse 6 says, both of them were upright in the, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. And yet here he was despite this, with what was viewed by his fellow Israelites as the main indicator of his life and his integrity, seeming to point to the fact that in some way he was under God's displeasure. And, and what then added even to this, what was an added thorn to this, is, is the little detail we find in, in verse 5. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. You see, she was of the line of Aaron. The one who was the first of the priestly line. So they then, who could have expected perhaps extra blessing from God because of this, seem to be getting no blessing whatsoever. So I' have no doubt then that if you'd ask Zechariah on that day, is there anything on this happiest day of your life that brings just a tinge of sadness into that immediately he would have been able to answer you and tell you what that was. But then, there comes this encounter that turns his world upside down. This encounter with Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, and it happens as he's in the, as he's in the middle of this most sacred privilege as he's burning incense at the altar of the Lord. And it sends him initially and understandably into a state of near terror. But then come the words of Gabriel that are intended to to put his fears to rest in verse 13. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now, the, the interesting thing here, though, in the light of what's later said and happens, it's actually very much common sense. But what I think is interesting is that that phrase, the tense that it's in, your, your prayer has been heard. The tense that that's in in the original demonstrate shows, points to the fact that this prayer that was answered was a specific prayer in the past that was the prayer of Zechariah's life. You see, it wasn't his prayer at the altar It wasn't a prayer that perhaps that day or that morning he'd prayed. No, it was the prayer of his life that was answered. A prayer that I believe later events make obvious. He had by now stopped praying. It was this prayer that God here heard. But Gabriel goes on to make clear that in answering Zechariah's prayer, that the Lord wasn't only going to answer His prayer, No, he was also going to answer or begin to answer the prayer of the nation as a whole. The prayer of God's people. If you see, as we said, Israel awaited the day when their Messiah would come. That day when, as Malachi so beautifully puts it, when the Son of Righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. But as a precursor to this though, Isaiah, he had prophesied in Isaiah 40 verse 3, that before the glory, the ultimate glory of the Lord would be revealed, that a forerunner would be sent to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Malachi more clearly identified the, the, this individual as Elijah. Sent to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike this land with a curse. What Gabriel's saying now though, what he's saying here is that in John, whose name incidentally means the Lord is gracious, that in him, in John, this unique Elijah-like individual has come another Elijah, and at the day of the Messiah, the day of God's grace, for Zechariah, Elizabeth, and all nations, has at last arrived. You see, God in his sovereignty has chosen here to answer Zechariah's prayer at this most precious moment in his life, and at the same time, answer the prayers of his people, And I think that's so often the way that God works. Bringing together the needs of an individual, the needs of a body, the needs of a church, the needs of a people. And by working in a wonderful way in the one, at the same time achieving something wonderful for the many. But as he does this here, he reveals, again as is so often the case... He reveals here that the problem that Zechariah felt was the problem of his life. was actually a far lesser problem than that which lay at the heart of his life. For I tell you, I don't believe that on this day that either Zechariah or anyone else who knew him, unless they were amazingly spiritually perceptive, would ever, ever have guessed what Zechariah's real problem was. For it was faithlessness. It was faithlessness. Despite all that we've said about him, Zechariah's problem was faithlessness, a particular kind of faithlessness, but faithlessness all the same. In the sense that, I believe Zechariah had faith in God. As a concept. He believed in God. And as a man of integrity, as a sincere man, he was a man who then put his faith into practice. Luke says as much here, and we've already mentioned it, that he kept the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So you see then, as far as morality was concerned, As far as religious practice and lifestyle was concerned, Zechariah had it all. But though he had it in the head, and though he practiced it in the externals of his life, yet I believe that through the years he had lost the reality of this faith in his heart. He believed in the idea of God, he believed in the concept of God. But over the years, he'd stopped believing in a living, acting, doing God. A God who works in the life of his people. A God who answers prayer. A God who can and does miracles. And no doubt his own circumstances played their own part in this. Now I base these these comments that I'm making on Zechariah's statement in his reply to Gabriel. Because what does he say? What is his reply to what is a a magnificent outline of God's graciousness to him and his people? What does he say? Verse 18, he says, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. You see, Zechariah doesn't question that this message is given to him by an angel. There's no hint of any dispute or doubt about that, but he does question that God would, that perhaps even that God could do such a miracle. He wants more evidence than the bare word of an angel before he is prepared to believe that, that this can happen. Now, I hope you can see how serious this was, because here we have a priest of God, a representative of the living God, refusing to believe his God's word, refusing to believe then that his God works. With this not only involving himself, because as Gabriel makes clear here, what God in his grace was going to do for Zechariah was but a small part of what he was going to do For all mankind. So you see, Zechariah's refusal to believe, and this is, by the way, so often the case, didn't only affect his own life, but affected the life of others because it affected the basis of the gospel itself. For if God would not or God could not restore the processes of nature in Elizabeth's body, what hope was there then? that creation itself could ever be delivered from its bondage to decay. Yes, and if God could not revive her ageing body, how would he ever raise from the tomb the body of Jesus when it was already dead for three days? This was a serious problem then in a servant of God. And let's please not fool ourselves that this was or is untypical. Because since man's fall into sin, disbelief has always been our natural inclination. That's our inclination in the flesh to disbelief. You know, we sometimes maybe imagine that true disbelief is a kind of fairly modern phenomena. It's a result of modern scientific skepticism. But that's not the case. It's maybe more widespread, but This belief has actually been with us since the fall. And all that that modern man's twisting of science and the evidence has done is just to add a little bit of fuel to a fire that was already burning fiercely. The result of this, though, we're told is that, that Zechariah was struck dumb. And this wasn't excessive or vindictive or arbitrary because God's never like that. That's just not who God is. Rather, this is the righteous, just, and proportionate reaction of God to sin in the life of one of His people. For in just a few minutes, Zechariah was expected to go outside, and as duty priest for the day, he was expected to pronounce God's blessing on his people. But how could it be right for a priest who might have had a theoretical faith in God, but who actually lacked a living faith in God, how could it be right for him to pray for God's blessing? So fittingly then, the Lord took Zechariah's voice away, and as he did so, he took his ministry away as well. Now what I want just to suggest to you here is that, I think that what we find happening here in Zechariah's life we can see paralleled in the lives of too many Christians. Christians who start off their their Christian life with a living faith, an active faith and a living and active God but who too often find that over the years that kind of quality of faith just slowly ebbs away because As we've said, it's against our sinful human nature. Faith is against our human nature. Disbelief is what we are by nature. And the evil one, he will always do whatever he can to weaken and destroy any kind of active, dynamic faith. Challenges to faith, temptations to take us away from faith, They'll always be there, laid in our path in abundance. Now, we need to say here that that while there are some who, when this happens, succumb and just seriously backslide, just fall right away, yet there are others who, like Zechariah, who don't obviously seriously backslide. There are sincere Christians, people of integrity, People who will hold to the commitments that they've made and who continue to seek to live moral, upright lives. Those who will always fulfill what they see as their Christian duty. You know, going to church, giving, praying. They'll do it because they believe in duty, because they believe in holding to their promises. They believe in doing the right thing. And because they still believe in God as a concept in theory. But their faith has actually lost its reality. It isn't a living faith, a living thing for them anymore. But You see, we look at them and from what we see on the outside all seems to be well. However, inside Inside, because they've lost this dimension of living faith and a living, active, and personal God, inside, they're cold and they're dead. And the joy, their joy in the Lord has long gone. And while they they might still be going through the motions of ministry and of service, yet that ministry brings little blessing to others and no sense of real fulfilment to them. So, when this is where we are, what can we do to change things? What can we do to get the life and the fire and the passion back in our lives? Well, we'll try and look at that as we look finally here towards the end of Luke 1 in those final verses at Zechariah's prophecy now we're not going to look in in detail at every bit of this prophecy we're not going to do that but what I want to just very briefly draw out from it for you is that Zechariah was repentant he was obedient and he placed his faith again in a living and a real way in God and as he did so All that he'd lost was restored to him. His obedience is shown in his readiness to name his son John despite all the the weight of tradition and all the objections of his family and friends. As for his faith, well surely verse 69 really says it all. Words that were said even before the birth of Jesus. Zechariah says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as for repentance, well, repentance is there, implicit in every word that's said by Zechariah in these, these closing verses. It's there, it's part of everything he says. But you know, we talk a lot, don't we, at this time of year as Christians about God's greatest gift, his greatest gift, a baby but more than a baby, Jesus as Saviour and Lord. But I wonder, is there maybe another gift that God wants to give to some of us this year? Could it be that this Christmas God wants to give you back your joy in him? Could it be that this Christmas... Does he maybe want to give you back an area of ministry and service? Could it be that he wants this Christmas to rekindle again the fire and the passion in your heart? Now all these things, I believe, or at least the beginning of them all, are only one true heartfelt prayer of repentance away. That's how far it is. Because our God is an unchanging God. And that means if things have changed between you and him, that means it's not because he's changed. It's because you've changed. And you can sort it out. You can get things right again. What he did for Zechariah, he is ready to do for you. God's desire, what He wants is He wants to again fill your life to the brim with all that's good. And He will. He can and He will. As you turn to Him. and open your heart. Let's come and pray. Father, you know what we're like as people. You know how easily we can fall into faithlessness. We know how the devil does all that he can to steal away our joy, to steal away that, that active spark of faith, to make Christianity into a simple, a duty, just something we go through and something we do rather than it being a, a real, living, powerful relationship with you. Oh, Father, we pray. If that's where we are tonight, help us tonight to face up to that. But more, help us to repent of it. Help us to deal with it before you and bring us back, back into a love relationship with a powerful, loving, heavenly Father. And this we pray now in Jesus' name, amen.